Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. If you have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 118. The day is October 23rd, Monday, October 23rd, year of our Lord, 2023. I hope you all enjoyed the Sunday night ad-free special episode. We're going to start to do those more, I think. I, I really enjoy the, uh, the ad-free episodes, mainly because uh, I'm usually you know, free on Sunday nights and just up you know, thinking about things, pondering things, so on and so forth. You know, uh, gives me a chance to, to interact with, uh, with the audience on the weekends. And when the Royce White show comes, I'll be on Saturday nights at prime time. Uh, we'll have a bunch of bunch of elements to that show, like call-ins and live chats and the whole deal. It'll be like a two-and-a-half-hour deal. I do all my stuff long format. I know some of you don't like it. Some of you appreciate it, but but we're not changing up the format for anybody. We like to talk about things with with a lot of runway, you know, to dis- discuss whatever it is and, and take the time to discuss and, and, and layer and nuance and go, you know, deep dive into the, you know, the nooks and crannies of whatever issue we're talking about with the Royce White Show is going to be even more important that we have a lot of time or runway given that we're going to have callers and, and live chats and, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, no need to rush. That's the beauty of this platform. If you, you know, don't like to sit all the way through, you can watch it another day. You know, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't a cable television. So um, I do look forward to doing the Sunday episodes. However, when we start the White House, uh, the Sunday night block will no longer be open for the most part, unless for some reason I just want to want to get both in. Um, I think we're building a really important conversation here on this podcast. I'm seeing a lot of great feedback. We're continuing to find ways to fight the algorithm. One of the ways we can we can fight the algorithm, one of the ways you can help us fight the algorithm is to go and like the channel, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, uh, share the podcast. That always could could help. Uh, share the clips if you want to, clip it, you know, post on social media, whatever you want. Um, and and also uh, leave a comment, please leave a comment. Don't just comment in the, in the live chat, but, but leave a comment in the actual comment section. Um, comments as well as likes and, and interactions and comments also drive the traffic to the, the, the videos and then the channel. We appreciate all our, uh, you know, returning subscribers and viewers and listeners all around the world. We appreciate you if you're with us for the first time. Uh, last night I talked a little bit about the Hakeem Jeffries uh, scenario, the the entire House uh, of Representatives and, and Speaker of the House scenario there in Washington, D.C. And now we're going to get a Tom Emmer vote. Um, Emmer obviously is a, a congressman from here in Minnesota. Uh, you know, plays the fence, but behind the scenes, by all metrics, very, very uniparty. Very, very uniparty. And it's hard to tell with some of these guys. I mean, you ask around, <clears throat> some of these guys say that they're they're really MAGA, they're really America first, but they're they're having to, you know, tote, you know, toe the party line for political expediency or effectiveness or whatever the, you know, whatever they their excuse is. Um, but but when push comes to shove, 
we look at how people vote, we look at how people behave, we look at what people are willing to stand for and stand on, and we find Tom Emmer firmly a part of the uniparty cohort. And now, you know, there's the House Republicans are going to say, give us Emmer or you can have Hakeem Jeffries. And so we're in somewhat of a lose-lose situation here. However, we could um, continue to hold out. We could continue to keep the government shut down. I mean, you got you to gotta realize that the entire rush to find a speaker now is predicated on exactly what I said last night. We got to have a speaker so we can do the business, the House's business, so we can get the appropriations bills passed and, and the spending can be uh, aggregated and allocated properly so we can go to war. We're all going to war. We're going to war on multiple fronts. They're in the Ukraine. They still need their money. Now Israel's going to need their money, and shortly uh, Taiwan may need some money as well. You never know what's going to happen out there in the Kashmir. South Korea may need some money. I mean, you just never know what's going to happen, especially in this type of climate where, 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 where an Israel and Palestine conflict kind of goes global and everybody's interests are, are uh, entangled in that region. You never know what's going to go. We're in the fog of war, the law of uncertain outcomes. So they're going to try and speed a House speaker bill through or push a House speaker through or create the sense of urgency to elect a House speaker because it's time to go to war. Not because it's time to balance the budget, not because it's time to fix this country, not because it's time to close our border or anything else. Ultimately, it's to go to war. And all of them may come to the, to the podium and they may all say that the, the urgency to, to fill the speaker role is for all those other things as well. But smarter minds know, wiser minds know the real urgency now to fill the speaker role is to go to war. And they're not really shy about saying it. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries sort of alluded to it. Surely if you go watch and listen to a, an Amy Klobuchar, for example, she's saying some of the same thing. Uh, people are, are kind of, uh, you know, unashamed to admit that, that the, the number one priority for our nation, for American citizens and their representatives, is, is the war path. And that's scary. You know, and I, I talked yesterday about, about George Floyd and, and the whole the whole Tucker piece, and I said I was going to get more into the Tucker piece with George Floyd today. Look, I don't have to really get into George Floyd. I know. I know it's a sensitive little little hot button for a lot of you conservatives out there. I get it. I get it. You want to you wanna play into the race narrative or whatever the case may be. The fruit of, the fruit of your, the fruit of your, the fruit of your inability to see the the divide and conquer of the establishment is going to result in a Hakeem Jeffries. It resulted in a Kamala Harris. It resulted in a Barack Obama. It resulted in a, a Jean-Pierre and, and any other black bourgeoisie sellout they're able to put up there uh, because the, the, the democratic process or a majority consensus vote is, is amenable or sympathetic to the, the, the identity politics, political cause, right? And instead of getting out ahead of it, instead of outsmarting it, we kowtow and, 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 and fall victim to it, really. And really, that's, that's, you know, that's why I'm here. That's why the great Steve Bannon came to get, get yours truly, the hatchet man. And what I'm trying to cut away at, most of all, is the, the narrative, the narrative of black people in America, the narrative that has become the cornerstone of this entire globalist agenda. 
And it is the cornerstone. It is the justification. And George Floyd is a huge, huge piece of that cornerstone. You got globalism. You got the Jews and anti-Semitism in World War II as one of the, the linchpins of the global agenda. And then here in America, which really is, is the guiding force for much of, of, of our politics on the world stage, you got George Floyd in 2020 as a linchpin of our, of our national or our domestic um, commitment to a global agenda, to a diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda, to a climate uh, democracy, uh, uh, climate, democracy, and social equity narrative. So yeah, I mean, I think it's important, and I think it's, I think it's completely, completely unnecessary. Number one, but but uh, you know, uh, uh, not really strategic either for Tucker to 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 double back and 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 make a make a gripe about this George Floyd deal. And it's not it's not that I don't agree with that that things may have been mishandled that that uh, identity politics and the mainstream media had a sway on the entire narrative or the situation. It's that there's something much bigger going on here. And I would, I would point to uh, another, another truth teller and, and brave and courageous man like Dinesh D'Souza, who just released, or, or at least I think he announced the release of, of his latest documentary, Police State. And it's kind of fitting that we have the two things happening simultaneously, and I could talk about both things within the context of one another because I think the 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 military and the police are are part of the same industrial complex. In fact, I've said on the podcast many times that the police are the lowest rung of the military industrial complex, knowingly, unknowingly, wittingly, unwittingly. The police, our police in America, do in America, what our military does around the world, and that's protect the interests of the corporatocracy, not the American citizen. And the American citizen's ability to organize grassroots political participation and have our representatives represent our will and our interest reflects upon what the military does around the world, and even more so what our police do here around the country. And we've all given way to, we've all conceded, we've all sort of adopted or embraced or, or accepted um, this, this, this technological craze, this, this science craze, right? This, this radical materialism, this consumerism, and our military and our police have both become a reflection of that. Our military and our police are two institutions that have been greatly damaged greatly damaged, greatly undermined by radical materialism, by crony capitalism, by the will of a corporatocracy. Who do you think your police are protecting? I mean, institutionally. Let, let's not talk about individual officers. I mean, I hate the anecdotal, oh, I know a police officer in my family or, or you know, my, my husband was a police officer. or well, I hate all, I mean, who gives a fuck about what you know or who you know individually? And I'm not saying individual experience should be thrown out the window and, and, and you know, not, not for any uh, real use because we all should draw upon our, our individual experiences, our firsthand experiences to, to help shape the way we view the world. But we also, have, we, also, we also need to have that epistemological wisdom to be able to think about things that we, that we maybe have not encountered things that are abstra more abstract to us, things that are not firsthand. 
You have to have that ability if you're going to talk about matters of, of government or politics at a general level. Now, if you just want to talk about how you feel about police or how you feel about military or whatever the case may be, fine, fine. But we're in a time and we're in a moment in history where, where our political conversations have to have a, um, a certain level of, I want to say, uh, widespread uh, view, uh, you know, a, a more 30,000-foot view. Because there's a lot going on. I don't make the rules. I, I didn't create the circumstance. It just is what it is. There's a lot going on. So with a lot of things happening, you have to, you have, to have that 30,000-foot that view, or at least try to. And I made the case yesterday when I was talking about Tucker. It, it often dawns on me how many people, how few people, have actually been involved in any physical confrontation, any real physical confrontation, any real combat situation, or any dangerous, life-threatening situation. You can tell how how um, how novice people's knowledge is around uh, physical confrontation, fighting, and, and, and bodily harm. You know, um, you can just you can just hear it. You can hear it in people. And let me let's be honest: most people are not required to um, train, have any expertise or any competence in physical combat. And that's great. I mean, it's it's in some ways it's great that we built a society where the need for physical combat is somewhat you know uh, obsolete. And trust me, they want to take you to a to a culture or to a world where physical combat or physical confrontation or physical fitness, uh, physical uh, independence is is completely obsolete. In fact, there won't be anything physical about your life because the last few of you that will survive before they go full blown robotic and 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 artificial intelligent. Uh, you, you'll be you'll be hooked up to to VR and all this other weird stuff all day to the point where there'll be no chance you have any real physical confrontation with anybody, and that's coming. I mean, to live in if if Ready Player One was was a was a uh, a sort of uh, prophecy of the future. I don't mean to say prophecy. That's that's kind of a heresy, but but you know what I mean. If 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 Ready Player One is any indication of the future. Um, people are going to be spending way more time in the digital world than they are in the real world. And that's already begun to happen. I mean, you go out to dinner, you see how many people can't put their phones down to enjoy a regular, simple conversation. People don't even know how to have conversation anymore. One of the things that I that I love about the uh, the movie, The Matrix, the latest Matrix movie, um, I, f- I forgot what the, what the latest Matrix movie was called, but it's the, the, the latest one that came out. <clears throat> where Keanu Reeves is older now and he's been, you know, stuck in the Matrix for 60 years and they changed his his appearance so nobody could find him and that that whole narrative. And then him and Trinity both become the one. I mean, that was kind of woke politics at work in Hollywood. You know, Trinity and, and Keanu Reeves now both become the one and they, they both have to be able to fly at the end and, you know, them together make the, you know, the disruption in the machine world and all that. Cool, it's fun. It was good. But what I loved about that, that movie the most is uh, one of the one of the bad guys from the previous Matrix movies had made a a, a reappearance in in this Matrix movie, um, the Merovingian, and and the Merovingian was this you know this Parisian French sort of uh, uh, arms dealer kind of you know underground black market 
uh, program from it within the Matrix, and uh, and and uh, there's this scene where where Neo and and his you know his new crew, the younger cats, the the younger, you know, the younger uh, Matrix crew are are going to uh, to to find Trinity. I think they were going to talk to her or something like that. Anyway, in the scene, the, the they run into the Merovingian in this warehouse, and he's you know he's got a beard and his hair is long. He's no longer the fine French suited you know sort of wine society intellectual uh, elite that he was in the previous movies. And he's sitting there going, "We used to have conversation," you know, like he was just he was most disturbed with with uh how the the circumstance of his of his life had changed and it, it when i saw that scene in the movie it kind of made me think man i'm i'm somewhat like the merovingian in that I, I just think that there was a time in my mind i i feel like there was a time where conversation was more meaningful where conversation was had where conversation was valued and it was more meaningful and there was there was something that was exchanged in the conversation that led to a more philosophically, politically, socially enlightened uh, populace, even though we had less information. I mean, I feel like the common sense has been so degraded uh, with the rise of technology and the rise of social media and this whole digital digital and tech uh, evolution. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, there's certain things about tech I like. I mean, I love being able to record and, and, and 4K and, and upload to YouTube and an hour and a half, and I got all these cool audio programs that allow me to be able to, you know, talk to you like I'm like I'm right there with you. And, and if I wanted to, I could live stream and people could watch it all around the world live. That's cool. I mean, I, there's some great things about technology. But as technology grows, we have to continue to fight to preserve what is good and what is, and most of all, what is human about us. And if we don't do that, then technology will take over. And, and not only will it take over in the in the doomsday uh, Terminator artificial intelligent scenario, it'll just take over and dominate um, our, our everyday existence, like in in a in a more uh, spiritual sense. I mean, it's just gonna take it's gonna it's gonna zap what is human about us, and in doing so, part of that is our inability to discern what's right from what's wrong, what's right for us, what's wrong for us as individuals, but as communities and as a society. And one of these questions more prominent than any right now is uh, the relationship or the power, the scope of government and, and by way of the military and the police. It's, an, it's a question we have to answer. What is the proper role of police and military? What are the proper expectations of police and military? What are the rules? What are the rules? We talk about rule of law, but what are the rules really? So far, we've accepted that the safety police and military provide you on mass is a good enough reason to give them a license to kill and, and play fast and loose with the morality and ethics of those institutions. And it's, it's by, it's, 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 it's no wonder. It's no, it's no accident. It's no coincidence that, that the forever wars have, have sent America's economy into a death spiral. And we are in a death spiral now because we don't produce anything. Uh, we're being we're being outplayed by the Chinese. The Chinese's uh, mentality, the CCP's mentality, in this whole race for supremacy between the nations is China's business is business, America's business is war. 
We should have never been dragged into having a, a, a national a, a national culture like that. We should have stopped that many times. Many times we had people stand up and say, this is going to be a problem. And a lot of them got clipped. And I don't, I, don't necessarily, I don't necessarily understand how people don't make the connection between the impulse to clip out, silence, uh, uh, um, other, or whatever other form of censorship they need to, people who tell the truth, and the way that the military, and the way that the police behave in, in communities all around the country, or how they function in communities all around the country as an institution. I'm not talking about systemic racism. I'm just talking about the, the fundamental, the fundamental way police departments or policing in America functions. And it's not an indictment of the police, really. It's, it's really an indictment of the system. It's really an indictment of the establishment. And what you've seen across the last 60 to, you know, 50 to 60 years as technology has risen, as the secularism has, has, has risen, has the, as the, uh, the, 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 the sexual immorality has risen, you know, as everything's become more of a free-for-all, the police are continuously put in tougher, tougher decisions and tougher, tougher positions um, to be able to do their job and, and, and not make mistakes or not encounter situations where they have to use lethal force and thus make mistakes in certain cases or in some cases just live on, you know, uh, you know, uh, live on the edge so much that they make mistakes, whatever the case may be. This is the outgrowth. This is the outgrowth of a negligent, a negligent establishment. The conflict that you see brewing in the country between law enforcement and citizens is the outgrowth of a negligent establishment. Yeah, individual responsibility. Don't steal shit. Got it. Of course. Right. No doubt. If you're a police officer, have some uh, have some self control. Have some 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 restraint. Have some ability to to deal with with uh, hostile, tense situations. That seems to be a good prerequisite for the job. If you can't deal with tense and hostile situations, well, if you don't stay calm under pressure, you probably shouldn't be a cop. But you got to look at both scenarios and have a level of sympathy, because in one sense, you got your cops who are the working class, they're just people that are sometimes, you know, needing to find jobs, and there's a certain level of courage that, that goes into putting yourself in the line of fire of the worst criminals or the worst criminal acts all across the country. There's a certain level of courage in that. But there also can be a certain level of malice and psychosis in that. Some people who just want to be involved in dangerous situations because it makes them feel some sense of power, some sense of superiority, or just some sense of thrill. And there is some of that. And I can tell that there's a, a, a sort of thrill, a, 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 an unhealthy, sick sort of thrill-seeking society by the way I watch people behave on social media all the time. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see me post tons of videos every week of people who are doing, you know, um, who are doing um, high-risk, high-risk parkour or, or building climbing or, you know, just going to the top of a skyscraper and, and 
and hanging off the side and putting the and putting the phone up or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe I'm driving my motorcycle 160 miles per hour. I mean, maybe you know you got to be some type of fucked up to do all this thrill seeking shit. It's really it's really a, a an, an abandonment an an un I'm sorry an abandonment of um, gratitude for for life and at bottom God. I mean, when you play with your life, it's really it's really kind of giving God the finger. I mean, that's that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. When you play with your life, when you play with uh, uh, the, the the fragility of a human life, you're really just giving God the finger. You're saying, you know what? I don't I don't really appreciate th this. I don't really appreciate what I have. I need more. I need so much more that I'm willing to jeopardize, unnecessarily jeopardize what you've given me. There's nothing more ungrateful than that. And I say that because, you know, police, you know, black men, school teachers, citizens writ large, nobody is, is exempt or, or precluded from the ills that we see popping up all over society. I remember one time when I was having a conversation with the, with uh, what was formerly Grantland, a pop writer is still pretty prominent named Chuck Klosterman. He wrote a piece and, and he made the, the assertion or he asked a question, did I believe that, 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 um, high-level professional sports, specifically basketball and the NBA, sort of selected out of the, the pool of people who would normally have or be afflicted by mental, mental illness. And I told him, I, no. I, I said, I think that the mental illness statistics for the entire American uh, population would probably reflect pretty similarly in the pool of NBA players. If not, I'd say the NBA players probably have more anxieties, maybe perverted, maybe twisted, maybe their their mental health conditions manifest in a different way. But I would say that that all of us are sort of afflicted by similar a similar um, level of of societal ill, and it's the one argument you can make for collectivism that has some merit to it. That yeah, we are all individuals responsible for ourselves, and that's sort of the great the great. Um, the great gift of, of founding American ideology is that every man is, is responsible for himself because he's been given free will and God, you know, God given rights. Um, but at the same time, there's a responsibility we have to others because we live in a society. That's what it means to live in a society. The question is, where does my responsibility for myself end and my responsibility for you begin? And that's a difficult question. Just like yesterday, I said, some people in basketball would say the best offense is a great defense. Some would say the best defense is a great offense. The war in, between Israel and Palestine. Who's defending themselves and who's, and, who's, um, and, and who's going on the offense? You know, This line between myself and the other is a constant question that, that people should ask. And it's rightful to ask. And it's okay if you don't have a, a great answer. There is, some, there is some level of gray, there is some level of nuance and ambiguity in life between people, um, between, between people and, and, and the earth, between people and, and, and other people, between people and their own thoughts internally, psychologically. If that didn't exist, we'd all just be robots. Then we would be living in a simulation. 
the, 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 the lower the degree of nuance and ambiguity that exists in between people for people to be able to sort out with their intellectual growth, with their intellectual uh, clarity, um, the, the, the lower that would be, the more we would just be robots. And so there's a beauty in that. And, and with the beauty in that comes some risk. And the risk is that sometimes the worst case scenario happens and people die. People lose their lives. It happens. It happens. Hey, two guys get in a fight out in the street. One guy punches the other. Guy falls, cracks his head on the pavement, dies. Happens. It's a, it happens. I remember a young kid got in a fight. You know, I always tell my son, you, you got to defend yourself, but, but you know, when it, if it's on, you got to go. You got to be ready to go. And I think a lot of people in society have lost that, that ability to be able to go when it's on. Um, but but I remember a kid getting in a fight, you know, just just at a local kind of you know park gathering, punched, fell, hit his head, kid died. We were young teenagers. Horror stories, genuine accidents. Now the question here that I was making yesterday is, at what point? When, when George Floyd was handcuffed and his chest was, was flat on the ground, at what point uh, do, do we say that's no longer an accident? At what point do we, do we make the, the, the clear and, and very obvious assertion that in some respect, in, in some way, the actions of Derek Chauvin could have potentially led to the, the, fatal, the fatal outcome of, of George Floyd on that day? I'd say right about the time that he was unresponsive and, and there was a big pool of urine, you know, uh, running all, all down the street from, from where he was. You know, I'd say when, when, people, when people lose control of their bladder, chances are they're, they're probably having an issue, big, big issue, health issue. Their health is compromised. You know, they're, they're having a system failure. And people have system failures all the time. For very benign reasons. I mean, it. You know, I, I knew a basketball player once that had a lung collapse just from playing. Didn't get hit. N- not, nothing. Nothing in particular happened. You know, nothing. Nothing that that really uh, that could be identified as the sole cause. The human body's fragile. The internal your your internal organs and and, and your system are fragile. I think we. We, we get caught up in, in how privileged most of us are um, to, to live an average life of about 75 years. And we take that for granted. So I'm not saying it happens often, but there is a, a sizable amount of people who just have bodily system failures for whatever reason. There's people who have chronic, uh, who have uh, acute renal failure. There's people who have acute liver failure. There's people, I mean, yeah, sometimes, does drinking probably make, yeah. Does having a bad diet and diabetes probably make you more prone to to renal and kidney failure? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But some people just have renal failure. Kidneys go out for whatever reason. Need kidney transplant. I remember my barber when I was young, still cuts my son's hair to this day. Great guy, survived kidney transplant, but he had kidney, kidney problems. 
I get nervous. I went to the, the, the ER about a month ago, and they said that my kidney function looked a little strange. My mind got to running. I never drink. I don't drink at all for the most part. A, a whiskey every once in a while, if socially, if, if, if I'm in the, if, if the vibe is right, if the mood is set, right? Johnny Walker, just like my great-grandfather. Now, my great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, Lewis White, he went to the bar every single day, and he smoked a pack of cigarettes a day probably, or, or half a pack of cigarettes a day, and, and he drank Johnny Walker until the day he died. He lived to be 73 years old. Some people, you know, have kidney failure and die at 32. We have a false sense of security about the, 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 the gift we've been given called life. Horror stories out there. I don't mean to scare you. I just mean to bring into, into, con, into context how negligent we've become with the way we govern, with the way we deal with one another, internationally, nationally, domestically, communally, interpersonally. We, are, we, are, we, we talk about grand ideas of freedom and justice and equality and morality and ethics and being Christian-like and all these things. And, and what we really show is that we are so primitive. We are still so primitive as a people when it comes to, to having the wisdom and, and really the love to deal with one another on any type of, of uh, sound, logical, sane, moral, ethical basis. And what we've let happen to our economy and what we've let become of our political culture and what we've let become of, of our technological culture has all made it much worse. I said today, look, I'm not your therapist, I'm not your father, but let me be your uncle. Shit is getting worse. Yeah, we can point back to, to Henry Kissinger and we can point back to, to, to FDR and we could point back to to a lot of people in the past or a lot of moments in history and say, you know what, right there, we should have done this. Maybe we would have had a better, better, better result. Maybe things would be different. A worthwhile exercise, always to look at history and understand why you came from where you came from. But a lot of what, what we're having problems with today is people simply making the choice not to do what's right. Now, what causes that? What what what's the uh what, you know what's the what's the engine driving that? Some would say it's a lack of faith. Some would say it's a, a lack of sacred honor. Some would say it's a lack of national honor. There are a lot of things people could point to. Maybe a combination of all three: lack of faith, lack of sacred honor, lack of national honor. If you read my bio, it says, you know, you can't have self-governance. You can't, you can't have freedom without self-governance, but you can't have self-governance without sacred honor and national honor. In order to have sacred honor and national honor, you have to have faith. You have to have some sort of faith to have some sacred honor. Because if you only believe in you, then you only believe in you right now, and you'll always do what's in the best interest of you right now. And you can talk all the woke, humanitarian, philanthropic, altruism that you want to. When push comes to shove, that's why many of these global elites who are famous and rich, who have more money than Midas, many of our global elites 
often find themselves caught up in corrupt, corrupt schemes that end up being quite evil, wicked. Quite evil and wicked. Yeah, they all say they want to do well. They may, they may mean well, but they only believe in themselves. And they only believe in others so far as it can appease their, their, their own guilt. And that guilt usually stems from a lack of faith, a crisis of faith. Because deep down, intuitively, we know that we were given a gift. We know we were given something special that can't be quantified. Human consciousness can't be quantified. The miracle of human consciousness can't be quantified. If there are other beings out there in space, if there are other beings in other galaxies, their consciousness, that, that gift can't be quantified. It's a gift so great, it, it, it deserves reverence and gratitude every single day we wake up. And we don't behave like that. We, we assume it. We, we take it for granted. We, we take it as a given. It's not a given that you wake up tomorrow. It's not a given that I wake up tomorrow. It's not a given that my children wake up tomorrow. And everybody's so, you know, everybody always gets so, so emotional and, 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 and there's so much tragedy when, when, when death comes because people don't, don't think it as a reality. I come from the other end of the spectrum. I come from, from the mindset and mentality of a, a, a radical anxiety disorder. So I always start from the worst case scenario and hope for the best. Oh, I'm having a pain in my back. Might be my kidneys. Oof. All right. Let's, let's, see what, let's see what's gonna happen here. Let's drink some more water. Let's go on a three-day water fast. Start to try and heal the body naturally before I have to go into the doctor. Okay. Worst case scenario is my kidneys are failing. If my kidneys are failing. I'm going to start having some problems pretty quick. Pee's going to start cha changing colors. I'm going, it's going to be some other signs to come pretty quick. Kidney infections and, and so on and so forth. You're going to start to know. So, you know, I, but I start from and I work my way back to, the, to, to, to hoping for the best. And we all and we all could do better with it. I, I could do better with it. Everybody can do a little better with it. And if we do a little better with that, we can create a better world. We can create a better country. And more importantly, we can create a better community. I mean, let's start talking about things at a community level. Yeah, us who are running for United States Senate and have political aspirations and we have to deal with foreign policy and, and, and economic policy and all of these big institutional, you know, uh, systems. Okay, yeah, we got to think global. The global affects the local. But for all of you out there, the local affects the global as well. And a strong America is going to mean a much better, much more prosperous world. But we have to start to reflect that. We have to be what, what we, we have to be what we want to see. You know, that's a famous Mahatma Gandhi quote. Be the change you want to see in the world. Infamously hijacked by the left and used as a, as a, a tool of propaganda um, for a number of Marxist globalist narratives now. Not unlike many other black figures. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, you know, whoever else being, being a, just to name a few. JFK, another one. 
And I won't talk about Eisenhower much, but Eisenhower surely told people the military industrial complex was coming. My point is we could have a much better society. We could be doing much, much better in our society. We could be doing much, much better in our society. But but we have to have people. We have to have people who, you know, who 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 have some type of code, some type of sacred honor. And God bless Tucker. I think he's a man who wants to tell the truth. I think Tucker's a man who 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 sees the corruption, who's been in the belly of the beast and wants to fight back against that corruption. I, I see that. I believe that. But but I also I also think that, you know, Tucker spent so much time in the machine by his own admission. He, he said, you know, I, I saw a podcast of him when he first came out of the, the belly of the beast there at Fox and he was going on a little podcast tour. And I saw one of them and he said, quite simply, I was a guy who never really believed that that this was the case. I was told people said it, and, and, but I never really thought that they were this corrupt. So Tucker's sort of a late bloomer, right? I mean, by his own admission. And fair play to him. I mean, you, 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 um, you figure it out when you figure it out. I can't, I can't be the, the, the judge of when people figure stuff out. That's not for me to do. So fair play to you, Tucker. I mean, you know, you, you, you came out of the belly of the beast, and, and you're, he's, been a huge, he's been a huge positive for the, the American people and for people all around the world who are who who need needed but still need uh highly competent uh, mainstream celebrity and, and public figure political commentator um to to push back against the mainstream accepted narrative he's done a huge service stood in the breach got to take your take take your hat off to him got to give credit where it's due but also got to give criticism where it's due and I think a lot of times Tucker has found himself, uh, you know, knee deep and in a narrative that has nothing to do with truth, has nothing to do with with a, a more fundamental and basic understanding of of what's at play. And I think this George Floyd, this latest George Floyd coverage, is is a sign and symbol of that. Look, we don't need to talk about who George Floyd was. That's that's bullshit. You know, that's that's like that's like you know gossip almost at this point. It's gossip. I don't care. I don't care what George Floyd did or didn't do. What I know, what I know with my own two eyes, is that what he did on that day didn't didn't warrant the type of treatment that he received. And it's not about George Floyd. It's not about what the left tries to make it about. It's not about the left's attempt to use George Floyd to 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 facilitate a transition of power from from the American people or American citizens to some Marxist. Uh, uh, you know, academic, political elite. It's not about that either. It's about what we expect from law enforcement as American citizens. And I referenced the Bible yesterday, and I'll reference it again today. Am I a Roman citizen? Do you have the right to bind and beat a Roman citizen who has not yet stood trial? And the same should be asked by every American citizen. And the reason why it's right to use the Roman citizen is because in Rome, they had a sense of citizenship. And that's what the, that's what the statement really, really uh, alluded to, is that the disciple in, in the story is, you know, 
I'm a Roman. Being Roman meant something. And that was one of the beautiful things about the Roman culture. Despite the many pagan uh, problems and, 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 and other issues, corruption that happened in Rome, the idea that your citizenship had a value to it, that it meant something, that it meant something around the world, but it certainly meant something within Rome, so much so that any centurion guard that, that, that had the audacity to bind and beat or roughhouse a Roman citizen beyond beyond a reasonable uh, 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 beyond you know a reasonable amount needed to fear uh, you know punishment needed to fear re repercussions. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when your government, when the authorities, when the people who you give power to protect and serve, the people who you give power or a license to kill, have to respect the fundamental idea of, of citizenship and, and the citizenship that those citizens walk and, and, and live and eat and sleep and breathe with every day. I mean, we got all kinds of fucking problems in this country. That the, the law enforcement is out of control. It's true. Yeah, young black men, out of control. I can say it, the LGBTQ, out of control, no doubt. Liberal white women, out of control, for sure. Neocon, neoliberal, military, industrial complex, warmongers, out of control. Mad scientists, Dr. Fauci, out of control. There's a lot of fucking people that are out of control. But the police aren't, the police aren't exempt. They have the number one alcoholism rate of any profession in the country. That alone is a canary in the coal mine. It really is. Something is going gravely wrong with our, with our police officers. And part of it is our American culture. That's traumatizing the police. I mean, we all talk about people being traumatized by the police, which there are some people who are traumatized by the police. But as an institution, you know, as a, as a demographic, the police are actually traumatized by us, we the people. And I'm not caping up for the police. I'm just giving you both sides of it. And I'm not doing that to try and tow a line. To, I'm just telling you, that there's always two sides to a story. And I hope that over, over the years, uh, you, you can come to know me and, and trust me as somebody who's going to talk about things from both sides of the, of the coin. Because there are two sides to every coin. And sometimes there's more sides than that. You could use a coin. You could use a street corner. Sometimes there's four street corners. Everybody sees it a little different. Everybody sees the car accident a little different, depending on which corner you were standing on. So I get that. And don't get me wrong. When I hear a story, when I hear a story that a, that a, 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 a woman, I recently heard a story that a woman uh, uh, shot her son. A woman shot her 10-year-old son. I have a 10-year-old daughter. I have a I have a 9, uh, nine 10, 11, uh, 11, 12, and 13-year-old kid, kids. A mother shot her son, her 10-year-old son, allegedly for taking the SD card out of the camera. I mean, imagine you're the police officer who has to respond to that. Imagine you're the first responder or the police officer that arrives on the scene for that situation. Horrifying, terrifying, traumatizing. Now, do we put those officers right back in duty? Do we put them right back on patrol? Do we create the, 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 the workplace 
Do we create a workplace that's conducive for officers to take time off after they've encountered trauma like that? Is it the best? Is it the best idea? Is it the best um, um, form of treatment for for trauma of that sort to have an officer go into some sort of uh, uh, you know paid leave, or does the isol is the isolation going to create more anxiety, more trauma, more struggle to be able to deal with what they're dealing with, what they've seen, what they've encountered? We don't know. We don't know because we haven't taken the fucking time because it's too inconvenient. And this is what I was telling the NBA. I hope this doesn't feel like a stream of consciousness that I'm jumping from topic to topic, but I told the NBA that I told the NBA, you represent a global corporate community. This is the watering hole for a global corporate community. And when you say mental health doesn't matter in this league, a league that touches millions and millions and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people in our country and all around the world. When you say mental health doesn't matter, when you say the human condition doesn't matter, when you say that the the workplace itself and the, the expectations or the culture in the workplace doesn't matter, you set the stage for negligence all across our society. And some people will look at that and say, well, why is the NBA responsible? It's not just the NBA. It's all of the owners of the NBA who have their own industries that they made money in before they became NBA owners. What is the culture? Culture is upstream from politics. The spirit is upstream from culture. What is our culture here in America? And what is the culture of policing? The culture of policing is we don't make good enough money in an inflated economy. A, a, an ever-inflating economy. We don't make enough money, so we encounter trauma, the worst ills of the society that's morally, ethically bankrupt, lack of sacred honor, national honor, high, materialist, on drugs sometimes, not to mention organic and natural mental illness. And we have to clean up that mess while the corporatocracy spends more time on trying to figure out how we can how we can exploit, how we can, how we can profit from the vulnerability of the human psychology, how we can profit off the social ills. And that is what the corporate community has done. And they've left the police in the position that they're in. Or they've had a great hand in doing so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was systemically done. You think they all don't know in Silicon Valley? The moral decay that's going to ensue as technology and, and this digital social media culture grows. You think they don't know? Do you think they can't see the numbers? You what? Let, we keep looking at the you know, for example, you know, rap music. Well, what is rap music's impact on on crime and violence? Well, who's looked at what what's social media's impact on crime and violence? Because I grew up in the '90s and I see a, a clear trajectory in the increase of of social media and the increase in violence in young black men. A clear increase. Clear increase. You know, so much as, uh, you know, men, men shooting women or, 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 or assaulting women or, or uh, you know, chasing women in cars, you know, because they, they deny them or because they don't want to, you know, give them the time of day when they, when they try and you know, holler at them or whatever the case may be. And it ain't just black men. There's crazy men all across our society, regardless of race. But there's certainly something specific going on in the black community. And yes, yeah, statistics can be statistics can be misleading. 
And don't don't get me wrong. I, I understand that statistics can be a racket. Trust me. I get it. But I lived there. And I don't want to use anecdotal experience, but I'll say give an I statement. I've experienced that there's something unique going on in the black community with our self-hatred of one another and our willingness to do violence for the most bullshit, petty reason. We are what we are so quick to violence. And again, that trauma, I want to go back to that trauma of the police. Imagine you have to arrive on the scene and, and, a, and a woman has, has uh, cut her child's head off and put it in the freezer. None of you show up to that. In fact, a lot of you out there, you have the you have the privilege to be able to read about that headline in the news, on your phone, on the television, or wherever you you get your news, and and uh, you know wherever you get your information, you have the ability to read that and quickly turn your head away and try and 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 and, and refocus uh, your attention on something less traumatic. You have the option to do that. Police don't. So I get how tough it is for police officers. I really do. Police officers as an institution are traumatized. That's probably why they're drinking so much alcohol, for sure. For sure, that's a huge contributor. I get it. The stress. Absolutely. Number one, uh, you know, pr predictor of, of drug habits or alcohol habits is the amount of stress in a person's life. Amount of trauma in a person's life. Mental illness. Does that give police officers an excuse? No. No, it doesn't. The same way it doesn't give a mom an excuse. She could have been raped as a child. She could have been, uh, uh, you know, exposed. She, she could have been a crack baby herself. You know, maybe her mom or dad, maybe her mom was on drugs when she was in the womb. She could have been uh, uh, abused or, or uh, um, you know, uh, mistreated in a, in a relationship or, or whatever the case may be. You know, I don't know. I don't know everybody's story. I, don't, I just don't seem to know what everybody's fucking problem is. I just see a bunch of people who are ungrateful for the life they, for the life they're, the breath they're able to draw. I see people with, with a, such a profound sense of self-hatred, they can't bring themselves to be grateful for the, the, the infinite amounts of miraculous gifts we've been given. One of them being able to just walk outside and, and look up in the air and take in a deep breath of, of fresh, clean air. I mean, I don't mean to be, to be, you know, silly or goofy with it, but come on, guys. Take a walk outside tonight. Take a walk outside after this podcast. Even in the night sky, look up and see the stars and take in a, a, a fresh air. You're able to breathe. My grandmother, my late grandmother who died, she, her, her lungs were so bad by the end of her life, she needed full-time uh, oxygen, supplement, uh, supplemental oxygen. Some of you can breathe unrestricted. Enjoy that. Be grateful for that. I don't know what everybody's fucking problem is, but I get it. People have fucking problems. Okay. Those problems don't give you excuse to be, to be uh, barbaric. They don't give you an excuse to be wicked or evil. They don't even give you an excuse to, to you know, to make mistakes. Mistakes are graded by comparison. Mistakes are graded on a scale of the severity in which it impacts somebody else. And in that way, our justice system will always be symbolic of a more collectivist type of, 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 of worldview. 
It's not about what you think, what you did, what you, what, what, how it affected you. It's about how it affected somebody else usually when it comes to justice, right? And there's a way where that gets too woke, where, where, the, where, the, where the radical feminists from the left have gone into universities and told women if they regret having sex the next day, then that means they were raped. That's fucking ludicrous. That's where collectivism goes way too far. I mean, way too far, off the rails, completely off the rails. Not a little too far. Like, that idea is not a little too far. It's way too far. And that is a big deal. That's a big thing popping up right now in the, in the younger academic university sort of, sort of cohort. Is they're reprogramming, formally, like Hillary Clinton said, formally reprogramming women to, um, to be sleeper cells, you could say, of, a, of an establishment that can then use them at any moment in time to, to railroad or, or, or silence or jail or, in some cases, kill, let's say if they resist being arrested, um, to, to, to kill a man who, who threatens the status quo. And Donald Trump's a great example. And not only is Donald Trump a great example of that, that sort of formal re-education or, or that cultural norm that's creeping up, he's also a great example of the police state. And his supporters are great examples of the dangers of the police state, the growing police state. And we all know it. So why do we let a cultural wedge issue like George Floyd distract us from the bigger picture? Why? I mean, I, I mean, uh, respectfully, I just know you're a jerk off if you're so caught up in this George Floyd thing that you don't see the rise of a totalitarian police state. God bless Dinesh D'Souza who we may even have different opinions about George Floyd in this situation, but at least he has the balls and the courage to say, warning, the police state is on the way. And that's the real, that's what my next documentary is going to be about. I like Dinesh D'Souza. I really do. I really like Dinesh D'Souza. I mean, he always finds himself at the center of, of, of content and documentaries that just strike right at the, the, most, the most sensitive, most dangerous topic. No wonder they threw him in jail. No wonder they threw him in jail. And they did throw him in jail. So, I mean, I guess that's probably why he has a, 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 natural, um, a natural interest or passion for the, the dangers of the police state and the tyrannical government because he was, he was a victim of it. But the police state is a danger. The police state is a threat. And George Floyd is an example of it. It's an example. It's just one example. It's an example of many. And the response to George Floyd, I can tell you from firsthand experience, was not, was not the, the, the product of, 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 uh, of a woke, um, um, academic, postmodern Marxist elite. It really wasn't. The Marxists, the communists, they are wave riders. They are, they are, they are, um, they are masters of riding the wave. They are masters of using the momentum, even if it's of the circumstance they help foster. But they're masters of it. We want to fight the wave, naturally. Conservatives, we want to fight the wave. Even me, I said it the other day. I don't like you. I don't want to know. I went on this rant. I don't like you. I don't want to know what you're posting. I don't want to watch you, you know, talk about memes or repost memes. I don't care about your Zodiac and blah, blah. We have this natural sort of individualistic uh, uh, way of life, which can be very valuable, which in this time is probably the most valuable. We need to refine that sense of individual sovereignty. Absolutely. 
the rugged individualist? Am I self-sufficient? But you can be self-sufficient and also be a keeper of your brother or sister. Both things are true. In fact, you being self-sufficient is the best pathway to being a good keeper of your brother or sister. Not always. Not always going to work. Sometimes your brothers or sisters are just fucking knuckleheads, you know? And sometimes, in the most un unfortunate and tragic of circumstances, your brothers and sisters put you in a position where you have to, to take the, the, the most um, extreme action against them. Hell, I've heard stories about brothers trying to kill brothers out there in the street. Heard it. It's, it I've, I've, heard, I've heard of situations like that. Tragic. And when you're in that situation, when you find yourself in that in situation, it's kill or be killed, like Cain and Abel. The Bible gives you the Bible gives you an example of every of every story you need to, to that you'll encounter in life. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Until my brother tries to kill me, and then I guess it's every man for himself. It's kill or be killed, and that's unfortunate and tragic. I mean, these are situations that are unfortunate and tragic. The George Floyd and Derek Chauvin one is an easy one, guys. It's an easy one, and it's coming to a theater near you. It's an easy one. If you think, if you, if you resist arrest, if you, you know, the, 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 the main um, story, the, the main talking point that came out of the George Floyd situation on the conservative side is one that you continuously hear about black people who are, who are caught up in... Um, who, who find themselves in, in uh, situations with, with police officers. Why'd you resist? I mean, I can't tell you how conservative it sounds to say, why did you resist? Why did you resist? That's become the hallmark, that's become the calling card catchphrase of the conservative right-wing movement about police and, and, police and citizens, uh, police and civilian interactions. The number one, the go-to, catchphrase is, why did they resist? I want, just tell us you're a cuck for the totalitarian uh, fourth industrial revolution. Just tell us you're going to be a cuck for the China-centric future in police state. Just tell us you're going to be a cuck for the social credit score and social credit score policing. Just tell us, why did they resist? Well, I guess you could say that because the Democrat Party or, or the powers that be in the country have always seen black people as a sort of political tool to use, I think black people live with a certain intuition that, that there's something seriously distrustful about our government. And so you can't, you can't condemn the distrust of black people when it comes to their skepticism of the government, when you carry and hold the same distrust and skepticism of the government, maybe just of a different variety, how does that make sense? Tell me. I mean, we're back at one of those moments now. To tell me. Drop it in the comments. Don't just disagree with one word or a couple. Drop a sentence or two. Drop a paragraph. I want to know. Tell me. Please tell me. Black people have the same, the same sort of distrust and skepticism that many in the right-wing and conservative movement are starting to have for the government. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. How do you square the circle that their distrust and skepticism shouldn't result in resistance? Of course, it's, of course they should resist. Of course they should resist. And yeah, 
Yeah, and and, and, and resisting, you know, yeah, abs- absolutely. In resisting, you run the risk of death. And and then we all have to and we all have to ask ourselves too, situation by situation, is it right to resist? Was it right to resist? And I think that's going to be a line that gets very blurry. And I think Donald Trump and Steve Bannon, for example, and and, and even Alex Jones have have given um great leadership in 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 showing a a way of handling themselves uh, under a corrupt justice system and and, and by extension. Uh, policing or law enforcement um, with their their current legal issues, I think I think one of the things that's that's boded um, well for Donald Trump is the way he's handled himself uh, underneath this, this these kangaroo um, these kangaroo courts. The way he's handled himself underneath these kangaroo court indictments. And the arraignments and the and the and the and the, you know the 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 whole the whole deal the raid at Mar-a-Lago and and all this stuff, I think he's handled himself extremely well, better than most of us would would handle ourselves with his type of platform and audience. I think he's actually shown himself to be very very presidential under the weight of all of it, much more presidential than I would have been. And hey, maybe he's do, maybe maybe it's just at his age he doesn't you know th- there's no choice he can't get himself hyped up. If it was me. I'd be holding rallies every single day outside of the, the biggest institutions in the world, in the, in, in the country, every day. The DOJ. I mean, who is the department? Why is the department? Of, I mean, think of when I say the police state is out of control, when I say the government's out of control, think of that immediate fear you feel, that immediate uncomfortability you feel to hold a protest at the Department of Justice. Think of that knowledge you live with as a citizen, a Roman citizen. American citizen, but you you know what I mean from the reference and earlier in the podcast. Uh, imagine that uh, you know just 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 think of that immediate sense of 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 of, uh, of danger and threat you feel from the government for naming an institution like the Department of Justice and understanding that they're so big, they're so powerful that the American citizen and the American populace writ large has become so bastardized by these institutions. That, that, that they could actually run roughshod over you and, and derail you and destroy your entire life and, and nothing be done about it. That's what makes you more like George Floyd than you are like Derek Chauvin. That's what makes you more like Derek Chauvin than you are like, uh, 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 you know, Nancy Pelosi. And I do think they use Derek Chauvin as a scapegoat. Absolutely. They used him as a scapegoat. He was the culmination. He was the culmination of a, of a six to seven year Black Lives Matter movement that started with Trayvon Martin and it had a bunch of moving parts across the seven, the six or seven years that the mainstream media establishment was able to weave and piece together for one, one congruent, one consistent narrative. And when the, and the, when the moment was right, when the time was right, they, they struck. They struck and they struck gold with the situation that Derek Chauvin put himself in. And that, that's, the, that's the unfortunate flip side of the coin that I think nobody really talks about. Because to them, many people who have no training in, in physical combat or, or just dealing with uh, high-pressure situations, uh, danger, danger and violence, a lot of people look at it and go, well, did George Floyd put himself in that situation. Yeah, okay. 
But Derek Chauvin put himself at the mercy of the court too, didn't he? I mean, when you see people filming you and you kind of just sit there and kneel, you continue to kneel, you continue to sit on the man's back, uh, and, and you start to smell the piss running down the side of the street, and you can tell that he's unresponsive. You can see that his face has lost a lot of the color. He's kind of going pale in the face, which the video clearly showed. I mean, number one, if you're dumb and, and too incompetent to, to take note of all of those extenuating circumstances, you should have never been a cop in the first place, which, again, in some respects, you put yourself in that situation. If you can't handle those situations, don't be a cop. I know it's a tough thing to say, but if you can't handle high-pressure situations, if you're not a person that does well under pressure, if you're not a person who can, who can, uh, uh, who can, analyze a lot of things at once under pressure, you probably shouldn't be a police officer. It's the same thing they tell you when you get your license to conceal and carry. Same thing they should tell you, or I think they do tell you, They, I would guess tell you when you're a police officer. When you're out there on patrol, every decision you make, you're responsible for. When you have a license to conceal and carry, every bullet that leaves your gun, you're responsible for. Every choice you make with that gun, even you, in, in, in certain states, you can't even get downrange on somebody if your life isn't in immediate danger. You can't even point the gun upwards in a, in a, in a, in a threatening position without being in a, a life-threatening situation. Responsibility. And responsibility, failed response, people who fail uh, you know, with their responsibilities end up with consequences. It's part of the beauty of life. Now, is that punishment fair? Is that punishment balanced? Is that punishment politicized? Is that punishment equal to the crime? All of that is something that we have to decide. But in order to decide that with any righteousness and morality, we all as citizens have to have a more clear, a more clear view of the world, a more clear view of other people, a more clear view of ourselves, of our own spirit of, the, of the, the truth, the universal truth that we all have access to. We have to become clear about it. That's how a justice system works. That's how a justice system prospers. That's how a justice system yields fruit. A justice system is one of the few institutions that you could, you could really say is, is, the, is the, uh, the will of the collective or the spirit of the collective. Because you got to face 12 other people who have been flu influenced by hundreds and thousands of other people. And in that way, we have seen the left, we have seen the prevailing political elite and establishment in this country create such a morally decadent society that walking into a courtroom is like a, a blind roll of the dice. Not only do you not know whether you're going to get a corrupt DA like Fanny Pack Willis or, you're, or a George Soros back DA like, like Fanny Pack Willis, not only do you know if you're not going to get a judge who has some political vendetta, like the ones who are indicting Trump or helping indict Trump or the one who just gagged Donald Trump, not only do you not know about those things, you don't know who's going to be sitting in that jury of 12. It all relies on some level of moral and ethical standards, some sacred honor. I hope I'm, I hope I'm getting through to you today. This is not an attack on Tucker. I just, don't, I just don't see the value in, in going back and rehashing George Floyd. It was an unfortunate situation. Unfortunate situation. But quite, quite honestly, you know, the police are out of control. 
and the police state is out of control, and it's coming to a theater near you. I promise you that. It's coming to a theater near you, and it won't be about counterfeit money, or it won't be about a former criminal past, it, 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 or it won't be about your, you know, your criminal past. It won't be about you being high. You know, it'll be, are you eating meat? Did we catch you eating steak? It'll be, are you vaccinated or not? It'll be, are you triple or quadruple boosted or not? It'll be, are you, are you talking bad about the LGBTQ? It'll be, are you talking bad about the political elite regime there in, in Beijing or Davos? Are you speaking against the, the, you know, the monarchs, the new monarchs? Are you speaking out against the authority, against the, the, the mainstream narrative? Like Hakeem Jeffries said, are you an extremist? Are you an extremist that's holding up the house's business, the business of the people, business as usual? Are you a dissident? And that's where you need to find commonality with George Floyd. Are you a dissident? Are you viewed by the, by the authority? Are you viewed by the people with power and a license to kill as a dissident, as a disruptor? And when push comes to shove, they'll treat all these disruptors the same. We have to find our will, our, our courage and will as the people. We the people. We have to find that in order to hold our government accountable. That's my, that's my view of the George Floyd situation. Take the most decrepit, most, most disgusting, most despicable, crackhead, whoever. Crackhead, criminal, whatever the case may be. Am I a Roman citizen? Am I an American citizen? Do I deserve a day in court? Do I deserve a day in court? Now, the, the one exception you could make, the one exception you could, you could say, from my perspective anyway as a man, is pedophilia. As an individual citizen out there, I understand the dad who finds out that the, the guy down the street was messing with his, his four or five-year-old daughter and, and uh, you know, sexually or abusing her or whatever, and he just loses it and kills the guy. I get it. I'm not advocating for that. I'm not saying it's right or it's acceptable, but I understand that. I understand that rage because I'm a father. But short of that, doing crack isn't isn't a right isn't a death sentence. And and quite frankly, quite frankly, uh, uh you know, uh, snatching a snatch, snatching a backpack out of a department store shouldn't be a death sentence. I just don't, I mean, I just don't think, you know, and again, I've said before and I'll say it again, when your government steals, everybody steals and your government's stealing from you. And it's not by accident. It's not a coincidence that the rise of theft is, is, is in, uh, you know, is, is in alignment with the overall rise of theft from your government. A lot of you don't want to deal with that. A lot of you don't want to accept that. A lot of you don't want to confront that. Yeah, you got an individual right, uh, individual responsibility to uphold your own morals and standards. But let's just talk about what a government is, what a government does. A government incentivizes and disincentivizes through policy and legislation. 
when you steal, when you create when you create loopholes for people to steal, when you create crony political processes for people to steal, for people to lie, for people to cheat, you kind of give an example for the other people to follow, for other people to follow, for your citizens to follow. When your government steals, everybody's stealing. And right now, your government's going to steal everything that's not tied down. So why would we expect, expect that George Floyd or any of these other people are going to have any more moral conscience about, about this nation, about sacred honor, about their communities than we show in our, in our positions of leadership? I can go to a young black man and say, that ain't right. Don't, 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 don't behave that way for you, not for nobody else. We don't have to talk about what the white man thinks or what the system thinks or what your mama thinks. Or anything. For you, don't behave that way. Have some sacred honor because it's healthy for you. But some of these people in the system, some of these people that are running the system, they can't say that shit. Joe Biden can't have that conversation. He's stealing more shit than, than, than George Floyd ever could. George, J- Joe Biden has stolen more than George Floyd could have ever dreamed of. And what would many of you do if they dragged Joe Biden out in the street and, and, and kneeled on him until he stopped breathing? Ask yourself that. And I really would want to know. What would you do if they drag Donald Trump out in the street and kneel on him until he stops breathing? What would you do then? I want to know. And that's a question you really should be asking yourself because that day may come. Because the man is so dangerous to the narrative. If, if, he, if he doesn't stop and, and it looks like he's going to win, absolutely, they will try and take him out. That's my opinion. There will, be, there will be an attempt on, on Donald Trump's life, in my opinion, before the next election because it looks like he's a Sherlock to win. And they'll try and fence it as some, you know, some liberal crazy leftist or some trans, you know, some trans activist uh, who was off their medication, you know, got hopped up one day and, and just lost it. They couldn't deal with the oppression. They couldn't deal with the hateful rhetoric anymore. And they just, you know, they, they, they had to, they had a fit of, Rage, to probably call it a passion crime, how fucking woke our courts have become. But if you don't see the connection between our corrupt political elite globally, our military-industrial complex, our judiciary, and our police officers, I don't know what to tell you. Get ready. Get Pick your favorite number. Telephone number probably work well. Ten-digit number. Get it ready because you're going to be in a gulag soon. You're going to be in a gulag soon. If you don't understand the danger and the threat of the police state, get ready for the gulags. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy brought to you by Free People Radio. We appreciate your viewership and listenership today and in the future. Go to freepeopleradio.com. You can find where to watch and listen to the podcast. Our patron platform is up. Patreon. Uh, locals, donor box, subscribe star. We're going to continue to flush those patron programs out so you can get involved in the type of in the type of uh, patron patron uh, subscription that you want. Some that are more tailor made than than others. And our store will be available. The store is now ready, and hopefully by tonight, by the time this podcast airs, by midnight, the store will be up and running, and you will be able to buy. Godspeed t-shirts. We got um, 
we got Free People Radio gear. We also have uh, Cuck Slayer t-shirts, Cuck Slayer hoodies, sweatshirts, a uh, whole bunch of good stuff on the uh, on the website, on the on the store. So go visit the website, freepeopleradio.com. Go to the store. We have not released the, the Spit on the Floor t-shirts yet or the Don't Die Jerk Off t-shirts yet. Those are coming soon, but get yourself familiar with the, with the, so, with the store, with the site. Um, and, and this is going to be where most of our podcast gear is. Got some good stuff on there. I was, I was happy with the way the store turned out. I think you guys are going to like the, uh, like the merchandise. Uh, it's good quality. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, pricey, but Hey, you know, we're trying to support the podcast and, and be self-sufficient. We want to be self-sufficient and, and, and independent so we can continue to give you the content that you want and not be bought by special interests. Because even in the podcast game, there are special interests, right? Sometimes those special interests have a way of affecting the things you can and can't say. Not here on this podcast. Not here on Please Call Me Crazy. Not here at Free People Radio. If any of our advertisers or any of our sponsors don't like the shit I have to say, they can go fuck themselves just like the next conservative or, or posh, yuppie, liberal, omnisexual globalist. They're all the same to me. I'm your host, Royce White. Thank you for another evening of Please Call Me Crazy. I hope you enjoyed it. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.